Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. So good to worship together, isn't it? Uh, I just love that line in Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And I just want to remind you of that today, that there, there's some of you that are in this room and you're going, God, I don't, I don't get how you're moving and what you're up to. And maybe even if you're even there. And I just want to assure you that even when we don't feel it and even when we don't see it, he is at work. Amen? You know, last week I mentioned to you at the, towards the end of my message that my wife and I are sort of introducing our kids to some of the movies that we watched growing up. And we've had some fun doing that. And I was starting to think this week that we should start to introduce them to some of the TV shows that we watched also, because they just don't make them like they used to. Can I get an amen? So I grew up watching some of the older shows like I Love Lucy and Leave It to Beaver. And I really liked those, but I'm an 80s child, okay? And so I think the 80s were some of the best decade of television ever to exist. We had shows like Knight Rider, David Hasselhoff, thank you very much. Uh, Shows like Magnum P.I., like that mustache is still going, praise be to God, Tom Selleck, thank you. And then, and then I would argue One of the best shows ever made was MacGyver. (laughs) Angus MacGyver to be specific. I mean, here's the thing I loved about MacGyver. MacGyver would be in the strangest, uh, most awkward situations, and he would use the most random things in order to get out of those situations. There was one episode where MacGyver was driving along in a car, and the car had a cracked radiator, and he stopped along the side of the road, went to a chicken coop, got an egg out of said coop, like you do, took it, cracked the egg in the radiator, it hardened up, fixed the radiator, and he was able to keep going to the glory of God. I could go on. That's just the tip of the iceberg, friends. I mean, MacGyver, he was always taking these random things and fashioning together in order to make something work. And I want to suggest to you tonight, if you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. God is like MacGyver. God is like MacGyver. He's able to take the most random, seemingly random things, even the most painful things, and he utilizes them for something good and for something beautiful. I was a a young pastor. I had just become a senior pastor, and I was meeting with a woman named Jane in my office. She had been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and we were planning her memorial. And she had this glow about her. I'll never forget it. And she said to me, she said, Ryan, cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me. And as a young pastor, I didn't have a category for that in my brain at the time. I didn't have a a way to imagine that that would be true. I mean, I hesitate to even tell you, but, but my initial thought was, isn't that just something that religious people say in order to sort of pacify the pain? In order to sort of bury our head in the sand so we don't have to engage in the the real world. Is this a a way to avoid reality? 
I can remember listening to her story as she unpacked the way that God's grace had gotten into her heart through this crack in her life called cancer in a new and fresh way. And I've come to believe that not only is this Jane's experience and it was genuine, she would really say, God, you've worked through this in an amazing way, but I believe that it's the normative Christian experience is what you and I are designed to experience as we walk with Jesus. In fact, it's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Listen to what he said in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. He says, not only that, but we, will you say this word with me, church? Rejoice in our sufferings. Not in our successes only, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Well, we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you catch what Paul said? We actually can rejoice in, or in the Greek, it's, it has this idea of we boast in our sufferings. Because somehow God's at work in those to build endurance in us and character, and eventually that suffering leads to what character trait? Hope. Hope. That it's the suffering that actually stretches us. It's the suffering that actually strengthens us. It's the suffering that, that builds us. See, suffering forces you and I to pull God's promise for the future into the present and say, I will live in this reality right now. That's what Jane was saying in my office so many years ago. See, God, in his creativity often turns the storm we walk through into the strength that we long for. And I'd invite you to write this down if you're taking notes tonight. It's sort of the main idea of our time together. And it's this, that the things that shake us most severely often shape us most significantly. The things that shake us most severely often shape us most significantly. And I just want you to think back on your life for a moment. Some of the painful parts of life. Some of those things where you go, I would never want to redo that again. I wouldn't want to walk through that valley again. I would never want to experience that kind of pain again. And will you lay that over this truth to see if you've seen it play out in your life? That it's actually been those things that have shaped you as you have walked with Jesus. Last week marked the 77th anniversary of D-Day. The, the day where the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy, five different points that they were attacking, 176,000 people deployed, 12,000 airplanes, 10,000 boats and ships. And many would look back on World War II and they would say, that was the day. That, that was the day that the tides started to turn in favor of the Allied forces. But it wasn't a day without loss. There were 4,413 Allied troops that lost their life that day. There were somewhere between 4,000 and 9,000 German troops who lost their life that day. And Tom Brokaw, the um, newscaster and author, when he went back to the beaches of Normandy and he was working on his project, The Greatest Generation, that book that he wrote, he walked along the beaches of Normandy that the troops stormed and listened to what he reflected as he walked along. He said, 
There on the beaches of Normandy, I began to reflect on the wonders of these ordinary people whose lives were laced with the markings of greatness. He says it's actually the storm. It's the, it's the war that allowed something that was deep within to come out of their lives. And Brokaw, if you've read his book, The Greatest Generation, he argues in it that that generation was the greatest generation to live ever and anywhere. The things that they built and the things that they did, just unbelievable. But he locates the beginning of their greatness in the midst of the storm. God did something. God did a work in the midst of all of the pain. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's just admit tonight. We don't like the storms. We don't, we don't choose the storms on our own. It's God who often brings them into our lives. But as much as we hate walking through the valley, we often need it in order to be formed into the people that God would have us become. And here's the truth. Don't miss this tonight. Please don't miss this tonight. In fact, lean in, if you will, for just a moment. I want you to hear me say it clearly. God is creatively at work in the midst of the storms that you're walking through. God is at work in the midst of the storms. And see, friends, everybody will walk through storms in life. It's not an if, it's a when. Everybody will walk through storms in life, but not everybody will walk through storms well. And so the question I want us to wrestle with tonight is, number one, what does it look like to walk through a storm well? And then what can we anticipate God doing in our lives and in our midst as we do that? See, what I think is normal is to, when we get to a storm, that we just say, God, I just want to survive. I just want to make it through. And here's what I want to say to you tonight. I think what God's inviting us into is something not so new and not so normal. And what's not so new and not so normal is to say, when we encounter a storm, not only do we want to survive, I'm going to say yes and amen to that, but we also want to thrive. We want to be strengthened. And we want to grow in the midst of walking through pain and sorrow. See, I'm convinced that God doesn't just want you to survive the storm, but he wants to teach you how to become a stormtrooper. And that may be the only Star Wars reference I ever make. So I hope you got it and mark it down, okay? Don't say I never did anything for you. Will you open your Bible, Acts chapter 27. Acts 27 is where we're going to pick up this story. And I want to show you the way that this truth plays out in the life of the Apostle Paul. Chapter 21 really marks a definitive turn in the book of Acts. After chapter 21, really Paul is on trial in various places. And even in Acts 27, he's being transported to Rome in order to stand trial before Caesar. And what's really interesting is that Paul had had it in his heart to get to Rome for as long as he had been preaching the gospel. He wanted to get to Rome and to Spain in order to take the gospel further and further. In fact, when he wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1 verses 11 through 12, listen to what he said. He said, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I find it a little bit humorous, this is probably my sick and twisted sense of humor, that God actually answers this prayer. He doesn't answer it in the way that Paul thought he would. 
right? Paul is a, a prisoner of the state. He's being transported to Rome in order to stand trial. And God's going, Paul, I answered your prayer. You wanted to go to Rome? I'm going to take you to Rome. Now, this might encourage us to be a little bit more specific with God in our prayers. Amen? Okay. But God has answered Paul's prayer. He's taking him to Rome. And I think we just need to see that sometimes the dream God places in our heart doesn't always take the direction that we plan in our head when God brings it to fruition. Some of you have experienced that firsthand. And here we pick up the story in verse 9 of Acts chapter 27. And I really want you to have the text in front of you because there's a lot of story and narrative tonight. And it's going to help if you can see it right in front of you as we follow along. Here's the way his voyage begins. It says this. And and what I want you to look for over the next few verses are the things that cause the storms. What causes this storm for Paul and what causes the storms in our life I think are the same thing. Verse 9. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. Now, time out. Paul tells us the time of the fast. Most people think he's referring to the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement in in 59 AD, which is most likely when Paul is traveling, when he's on this ship, would have been October 5th. Now, the reason we're told that in the text is because that was a really dangerous time to travel by sea in the Mediterranean. There's a number of storms that would come up. That was just sort of a part of, of nature. There were storms that happened whether you chose them or not or whether you did something wrong or not. It was just a part of the natural rhythm of the broken world that we live in. Verse 11. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Yet yeah, He goes with the professionals on this one. Verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. So time out. There's a bunch of different voices. And essentially what we're going to find out is that the captain of the ship takes bad advice. He listens to the wrong voices. He's influenced by the crowd and by the numbers. The majority decided. Then it continues, on the chance... That somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. On the chance. As if to say, I know that other boats have tried to do the same thing at the same time, and they've ended up at the bottom of the sea. But we're different. We're special. It happened to them. It certainly won't happen to us. Or to me, right? It says, and now in the south wind blew gently, supposing that they'd obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Now the south wind was the sailor's way of, of sort of looking up at the sky and going, well, it looks good. It looks safe. It's, it's, a, it's a similar to say like all of the data shows that we should make this decision even though it goes against wisdom to put all the money in that thing. Even though it goes against wisdom, all of the signs point to yes. And as you read back over the story, you'll see that there are four things that contribute to the storm. There are nature, 
I mean, we've all been involved in storms that were just part of nature. I mean, this is living in a broken world, we get sick. This is Jane's story, she got cancer, right? And things are just not the way that God originally designed them to be. Or bad advice. We don't need to have a show of hands, but my guess is some of you have found yourself in the middle of the storm because you took somebody's bad advice. Anybody want to say amen? Okay. Arrogance. Oh, I know others have gotten stopped there, and that's been difficult for others, but not me. Deception. Oh, the winds are blowing, and it looks like oh, everything is lining up. Even though I know it's not the right thing, all of these factors are converging. You see how our lives aren't all that much different from Paul's voyage? Verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Now this is, you've felt this before. You've felt this when you've been in a, a storm of life. Like it just came up immediately and you were driven along and you were along for the ride. It may have been in a relationship that ended in divorce and you never thought it was going to go there. It might have been in a business deal that went awry and you didn't see it coming. But we have all been in situations in life. This isn't actual footage of Paul, but you've all been in situations in life where we felt like that, haven't we? Where if someone were to be able to take a picture of our soul, it would feel like that. Maybe the surrounding circumstances of our life, it would feel like that. Here's a beautiful thing about our God, friends. The storm is never the end of the story. The storm is never the end of the story. The storm of depression, of abuse, of death, of despair, of job searching relationship trouble, of parenting heartbreak. I just want to tell you, the storm is never the end of the story because God is creatively at work in the midst of the storm. And I don't just want to tell you that that's true tonight. I actually want to show you how God was at work in Paul's life in the midst of the storm because I think what we're going to see is that there are some parallels between his life and ours. Verse 16. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sartis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Sartis was a graveyard for ships off of North Africa. It was known as a place where shipwrecks took place. In the U.S., it might be sort of akin to where the Columbia River flows into the Pacific Ocean. It's just a graveyard for shipwrecks right there. That's what the place is that they are traveling to. It says, verse 18. And since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So you get the picture? They're in this situation right here. And they start to look at the deck of their boat. And they start to go, okay, we're keeping that, that, gone. This we're keeping, that, gone. 
What's really interesting is that when they started the voyage, the things that they tossed into the ocean seemed essential. But when the storm arose, they became trivial. This is the gift of the storm. The storm actually helps us clarify what's really important to us in life. The storm, the power of the storm, the beauty of the storm, the strength of the storm is that it purifies our priorities. It purifies our priorities. And let's just admit tonight that there are times when our priorities can get a little bit twisted. I can remember the first time I was uh, living off campus with a group of roommates in college. And the first sort of house meeting that we had, we all sat down together. We looked at our collective budget and we had to decide, are we going to get trash service or are we going to get cable television? I'm proud to tell you we didn't miss an episode of MacGyver. (laughs) But even as we mature and become adults or are moving towards that, isn't it true that we still wrestle with priorities? I mean, that's the reason that the mom and dad, they hug their kids a little bit tighter after the car accident where they're going, oh my goodness, this gift was right in front of me and I've missed it so much of the time. It's the reason that the bad diagnosis from the doctor creates a desire to say, we're going to get together as family more. We're going to spend more time together because we've actually put that off to the side. It's the reason that when we lose the job, we actually sit down and make the budget we probably should have made when we had the job. It's the reason that church attendance skyrocketed after 9-11, the weekend after 9-11, because people started to go, gosh, God, I need you. We need you collectively. I think even COVID has reminded us of so many things that are actually really important to us, like people, like being together, having person-to-person interaction. See, the storms of life, they bring clarity to our priorities. And see, Jesus knew how important this was. See, when he was teaching, he actually saw people that were wrestling with uh, spending so much time in anxiety, going, what am I going to wear and what am I going to eat and What am I going to do with my life? And here's the the teaching that Jesus gave to people in that situation. People maybe like you and me. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. What's Jesus saying? What's Jesus teaching? He's saying, set your priorities on God and he'll handle the details. He'll handle the details. But get that big rock in place and God will cause other things to fall into place. Here, I just want, I want you to know this night, even if you're not walking through a storm, you don't have to wait to a storm for a storm to clarify your priorities. The, the wise thing to do is actually to say, God, I want to live in light of what's really important to me, not just when life gets hard, but every single day. You could do that tonight. You could go home and say, God, what's really important to me? And maybe the storm doesn't have to bring the clarity that you're longing for. Secondly, look at the way this goes in verse 20. It says, And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So if you're an ancient sailor and you have no sun and you have no stars, you have no clue where you are. This is like saying the GPS in the car went out. 
Man, can you imagine now, now that we've been conditioned to pull up Apple Map and, be, and know exactly where we are and where to go, can you imagine if that went down in like downtown San Diego, okay? Um, that's the feeling that they have where they're going, we don't know. We're just being driven along and it's disorienting and it's a gift. It's a gift because the storm, here's what the storm does for them. The storm determines their direction And my guess is you can look back on storms in your life that have actually reshaped the direction of your journey as well. Where because of storms that came in, difficulties and challenges that came into your life, your life took a little bit of a different twist and a different turn. Something that you wouldn't have chosen on your own. And yet, it was a time where God took control because you had none. And we often live under the illusion that we are in control of our comings and our goings in life, of the direction that our lives go. And storms just make us realize we don't have as much control as we thought we did. Want to say amen to that? We don't have as much control as we thought we did. We live under the impression that we have a map that we're following and we get to choose where we go. But that simply isn't true. I love the way that one of my favorite singer-songwriters of all time said it. And I've shared this quote with you before, so forgive me if you remember it. But it's by Rich Mullins. And listen to what Rich said. He said, he said, God, I don't know where you're leading me unless you've led me here where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. I love that. Here's what Rich is saying. That there are moments when we feel so lost and have so little clue what God is actually up to. And those moments are actually a gift because they get our hands off of the wheel of our life that we try to hold onto so tightly and we surrender, sometimes through gritted teeth and a broken heart. We surrender back to him and say, all right, you take the wheel, you you steer, you lead, you guide. My life is yours. I love the way that the author of Proverbs put it when he said this. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Isn't that a great, great proverb to just sort of have in the back of your mind? Yep, yep, we can plan. And we can have our idea of the way things should go. But let's hold it open-handedly. Because God's the one who is going to determine the steps. Yeah, we can make all the best plans in the world, but God is the author and the editor of our lives. And so maybe the storm was God's way of blocking a decision that you were planning on making. Maybe the storm was God's way of shifting the timing of something. Where God said, not, not, not a no, but not yet. Maybe the storm was God's way of inviting you to lean into the heart of your father to trust him afresh and anew. I'm not sure why the storm has come into your life, and I'm not sure how God wants to use the storm in your life, but I am confident that he wants to use it to shape your direction. The wind that the enemy wants to use to destroy you, God wants to use to get you to your appointed destination. Let me just say that again. I'm hoping it just sinks into your soul. The wind that the enemy wants to use to destroy you, God wants to use to get you to your appointed destination. 
And listen to the way that the story continues. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Okay, now time out. Can we just have an agreement amongst us no, that no, nobody's going to send me an email on Monday? Okay, yeah? All right, so here's my thought. I think, I think that there should be a women's ministry that uses verse 21 as their theme verse. <laughs> Men, you should have listened to me, right? I, I think that would be epic. That secret stays with us though, okay? Shh, don't tell anybody. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I mean, this is Paul's way of saying, told you so. I mean, they're in the middle of a storm. Their boat's about to sink. And he's like, should have listened to me. And not have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Is this good news or bad news? Right? Like, hey, good news. You're going to live. Bad news, the ship's going to sink. And I just imagine someone's like, hey, Paul, I don't know how to swim. God will figure it out. Verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you that all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know that from the moment he set his foot on that ship, he was starting to preach Christ and Christ crucified. And the whole time they're going, we don't want to hear from you, Paul. Thank you for your advice, but no thanks. And it's in this moment where the waves are starting to crash onto the bow of the boat, where the wind is starting to rage, and when they are absolutely terrified, that their hearts are finally opened up to the message that Paul has been wanting to deliver the entire time. See, when the boats of our life begin to fail, we are far more open to hear the voice of the author of life. And I love this picture of Paul saying, keep up your courage. That might be a word for some of us here tonight where God's saying, keep up your courage. But notice when Paul says that, he's not saying, um, keep up your courage or or have faith in the boat. He's going, no, no, no. The boat's not going to make it. Your faith isn't in your circumstances. Your faith isn't in the foundation, the ground that's underneath you. Your faith is actually designed to be in something greater than the boat. See, I think in so many ways in this picture that we're reading here, the story that we're reading, the boats for us represent safety. They represent protection. They represent the things that make our lives stable, like health and finances. The boats are our way of getting things done, the ways that actually work and make progress in the world. And storms will always, always, always force us to take account of the structures that we have put our trust in. And if we live long enough, those structures will eventually fail us. They will eventually let us down. So Paul points them to something bigger and something deeper. And he says this in verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith, not in the boat, but I have faith in whom? In God. 
that it will be exactly as I have been told. See, storms strengthen us because the storm grounds us in God's promises. And when our lives are just cruising along and everything's going fine, God's promises are sort of like um, an, an accessory to our life, in addition to our life. They're, a ni- they're nice. We appreciate them. But when life is just cruising along, we're just going, hey, those promises are good. But when we hit the storm, those promises become an anchor for our soul. Anybody want to say amen to that? When we hit the storm, those promises are what we cling to. They are what we need. Those promises are what Jane experienced coming to more reality in her life, to seeing them as true in her life because of the cancer that she experienced. Yeah, promises may be like um, God's promise that he says, uh, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. The promise of his presence. That when we walk through that storm, the storms of life, we get to experience God's presence in new and fresh ways. Or maybe it's the reality that we are dearly loved children of the Most High God. I love the way that Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. He wrote, for I'm sure, I love that confidence, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation. Quick time out. Paul could have just said, I am sure that nothing. But he didn't. Because he didn't want you or me to create a sort of a footnote in our mind and go, yeah, nothing except death. Nothing except suffering. Nothing except this heartache. And so he just lists some things. And he goes, okay, nothing in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's often the storm that allows us to experience the affection of our Heavenly Father in new and powerful ways. We experience his presence. We experience his love. And then I don't know if you've ever seen this or experienced this. But if you've ever encountered somebody who was a follower of Jesus and getting close to the end of their life, and they knew it was coming. I had this experience a few weeks ago when I went and prayed with a woman in our church family named Mary Waite who was getting close to the end. And there was just this, this joy. Inexplicable joy. Where the promise of eternity was coming more and more into focus in her mind. And see, the promise for eternity for people that are healthy is a really nice addition to life. The promise of eternity for people who know they're getting closer to that day, maybe even by the hour, becomes an anchor for their soul that lights them on fire in some of the most beautiful ways I've ever seen. I think they experience what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth where he said, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I think they're actually getting to taste that or they're getting the foretaste of that a little bit. Paul goes on and he writes this, as we look not only to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the Things that are unseen are eternal. See, our circumstances, friends, aren't, our, our, our hope isn't in the boat. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is grounded in the promises 
of God, not in the circumstances of our lives. And the result of the storm is often that our feet find a new foundation and that our heart starts to find a new home. And that's the gift of the storm. See, if you were to read through the end of Acts 27, I'd encourage you to do so, maybe even before you go to bed tonight. What you'll see is that the ship does in fact go down. That everybody is in fact saved. There's shipmates and prisoners jumping overboard. And listen to the way that Luke summarizes the end. He says this, And so it was that we were all brought safely to land. And as I was reflecting on this passage of scripture in this story in our lives today, there's just four quick things that I want to mention as we close. Number one, we've already said this, but I think it's, it, it's worth repeating that storms are coming. They are coming. It's not an if, it's a when in life. And, and Jesus actually tells a story about this and he says, listen, uh, storms will come and, and what happens with your life will be determined based on where you put your foundation. He goes, if you build on the rock, your life is going to stand. If you build on the sand, it's going to be washed away. It's really interesting. In Jesus' parable, the variables are where we build our life. The constant is the storm. It comes. It's part of living in a broken world. But I love the way as I read through this passage that the storm revealed what was going on in the Apostle Paul's life. It it revealed his heart. He had this this non-anxious presence in the midst of all that was swirling around him because of his confidence in God. And I just started to wonder about my own life and and also about yours. What, What have the storms revealed about where you've planted your life? What's come out in the midst of the storms? And I'd love to stand up here and tell you Man, if you trust Jesus enough, you're going to avoid all the storms. It's going to be all good. But you would know that that isn't true. But what is true is this, that God won't always protect you from the storm, but he will produce something in you through it as you walk with him and as you cling to him. That's Joseph's testimony. At the end of the book of Genesis, he looks at his brothers who sold him into slavery and said, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's why we have confidence, friends. Not because God will allow us to avoid the storms, but because his affection is good even in the midst of it, and he will produce something beautiful out of it. And then finally, finally, we can have confidence walking through the storms of life because the biggest storm we will all face has already been quieted. And that storm is the storm of sin and death. And on the cross, Jesus took your sin on his shoulders and he died in order to pay the penalty for it. And he was buried in the ground and he rose up with new life in his hands. And so the authors of of the scriptures say that you no longer have to fear death because of what Jesus has done. And if he's quieted the biggest storm, then let's be people who trust him in the midst of every storm. Amen? I just want to remind you tonight 
I don't know what you're walking through, but I know this, the storm is never the end of the story because the things that shape us most severely are also the things that shape us most significantly. I'd like to end our time together tonight by inviting you to be um, a little bit vulnerable with our church community. And so I just want to invite you, you can start putting your stuff away. We're going to sing one last song, but I I want us to have a, a time of prayer together tonight and not just me praying for you, but I want us to pray for one another. So I want to invite you to be bold and to maybe take a little bit of a risk. But I want to invite you, if you're walking through a storm tonight, would you just stand up right where you are? Uh, We want to pray for you. I want the people around you to be able to pray over you. Okay, everybody's looking at everybody else. Awesome, Marky, thank you. Praise God, praise God. Awesome, awesome. And I just want you to, to get near somebody who is close to you. And would you just pray over them? Maybe out loud, you don't need to even know their name. Let's just pray over these folks that are walking through a difficult season and let's lift them up to our great God, all right? Let's be the body of Christ together tonight. Let's pray, let's pray. Let's just fill this room with prayer. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.